Hello, and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast is for crafters of all ages and walks of life who love connecting with other crafters, making crafts a lifestyle, or ready to turn their crafts into a profitable side business. Tune in weekly for honest conversations and interviews about industry news, trends, lifestyle, and business. Hello, 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 listeners. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Crafty Hands Club podcast. And this week's guest is interesting, amazing, and just tons of fun. First, her name is Liz Piat, and she is in Akron, Ohio. So if you are familiar with NBA star LeBron James, that is his hometown right outside of Cleveland. She is a mom, a wife, and also a pet mom. Let me make sure I get that right. (laughs) Uh, She loves to travel, spend time with her family, attend county fairs, and summer orchestras. And um, she's also a host of her own podcast. It, it is called The Black Knitter that talks all things knitting. And it also deals with racial issues that happens within the knitting community. So welcome, Liz. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. We've been connected on Instagram for quite a while. And mm-hmm. when... I looked at your profile. I always found them to be interesting. What I love about you is that you're unique and you're not afraid to talk about the heart to talk about subject matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to me in my writings, um, I like to talk about subject matters that most people want to talk about but are scared to talk about. You're pretty well rounded. So I am happy that you accepted to be a podcast guest. It's exciting. So how would you describe your journey with knitting? Did it start from childhood? Did you pick it up after you became an adult? Or did something happen and knitting kind of filled that void? Tell us about your journey with knitting. My journey actually started with crocheting. My aunt's Renee, my mother's sister, taught me and my older sister how to crochet. I was in the first grade, so I was seven years old. She's left-handed like I am, so it was really cool to learn from her because it was something that I didn't have to learn how to do right-handed. Right. She's the only other person in my family who is left-handed. I crocheted for many years. I also sewed. My grandmother was a, a big quilt maker, a doll maker. She always made dresses for us at Easter. So learned a lot of sewing from her. So like in middle school, I was making my own clothes. And in high school, I decided that I wanted to learn how to knit. And I can't remember exactly why I had that desire, but I didn't have knitting needles. I didn't have anybody to teach me. I love to learn. I love to read. So I went to the library and checked out a book on knitting. Before Google. This is before before Google, it's before YouTube. There were no videos available. I didn't have knitting needles. So I went through my mom's kitchen utensils and found some metal skewers, you know, that you use to make shish kebabs on mm-hmm. the grill. So I took a couple of metal skewers 
they were pointy enough on the ends. And I used those to knit. I unraveled a crochet hat that I had made because I didn't have any money for yarn. And I just started with that book and those skewers and some repurposed yarn. That's how I got started. I started out making a scarf and then I made, you know, some hats. I really stuck to things that I could make quickly. Always bought yarn at like big box places because it was all I could afford. You know, my family wasn't very well off and didn't really get like more serious or more adventurous about knitting until I was well into my 30s and just started making more things, getting a little more adventurous as far as making garments. I remember the first thing I made was a sweater and I didn't know anything about gauge. Like I didn't know what that meant. And so it ended up being really wide and too short. (laughs) So I gave it somebody who could fit it. (laughs) So I just did a lot of reading. And, you know, then when YouTube became a thing, I started watching videos. I actually didn't take my first class until during the pandemic in 2020. So, yeah, that's kind of how it evolved for me. Now, you know, I I knit all the time. I'm going to start teaching this week. Actually, I'm teaching a learn to knit class at my local yarn shop. So that's the journey. That's how I got to today. Wow, that's an interesting journey. My husband is left-handed. So it is a blessing to learn from somebody that can identify with, you know, you being left-handed because you do have to teach differently for left-handed crafters than you would with right-hand crafters. I learned that while teaching jewelry making. (laughs) It's a difference. And, you know, writing the instructions and so forth. I mean, skewers and knit needles, there's some similarities, but there is a difference. It's good to practice. I don't recommend that (laughs) for uh, practice, but the good thing they were metal. So what I did with the wood, I don't know if it'll help as much with the wood skewers, but I hear creativity inventive, you know, you make use of what was around you. With the upcoming class that you were teaching, were you a student in this class for a while? And then they asked you, Liz, would you teach a special class or have you been watched on social media? And then they reached out to you. I have taken a number of knitting classes at my local yarn shop over the last two years. I think I was taking a class pretty regularly. Like every time a class ended, I was signing up for another one. The owner there has seen my work. She follows me on Instagram. So she sees the things that I post. She knows I have a podcast and she had been looking for someone to teach, learn to knit classes for a while. And I participated in a mystery knit along a couple of months ago. They were doing it on Facebook. And during that, she posted, you know, I'm still looking for a learn to knit instructor. And I was like, huh, I could do that. I mean, I'm a teacher. That's what I do, you know, in my profession. Part of my job is teaching college courses. So I've got a lot of experience teaching. I have taught people to knit and crochet and to sew, but never in like a a formal way, just informally. So I said, maybe I'll just go ahead and apply. And as soon as I, as soon as she got my application, she emailed me back and she said, I'm really glad you applied. You're overqualified for this job. (laughs) Just come in and we'll figure out dates and all of that. So 
that's kind of how it happened. So this will be my first time teaching knitting formally. Well, congratulations on that. Thanks. I'm really excited about it. You should be. Uh, First of all, you get the experience of being on the other side of knitting. And like you said, you can apply your background. You're already teaching to college students and you probably teach some of your coworkers how to knit and crochet. You always got that one or two employees that's like, let me see how you do that. How you do that? You know? Yeah. uh And so you just transferring it to another setting. So, you know, that's great. Now, in one of your podcast episodes uh, that I listened to, you were talking about different yarn shops. Some one was in Denmark, another one was here in the States. I'm asking in case a listener is either new to knitting or never knitted before, right? And they probably would think, what's the difference between this yarn shop and that yarn shop besides location, you know, because they would think, okay, they all sell yarn and accessories for the project. What is your take on visiting various local yarn shops? I like to do it because I am trying to, through the work that I do on my own podcast, I'm trying to make people aware of one, black and brown makers. So yarn yarn dyers, yarn shop owners, designers. I like to find those at various places, but I'm also looking for places that are inclusive, places where I can go and feel comfortable as a Black woman who happens to knit, places where I can see people who look like me um, or just people that are welcoming to me. As I've been doing my podcasts. It'll be a year uh, at the end of December because I started during Kwanzaa. I have heard so many stories from from Black and Brown people who have had a bad experience at a local yarn shop. Adela over at Lola Bean Yarn Co. tells a story about how the first time she went into a yarn shop, the first thing out of out of the person behind the counter's mouth was, our bathroom is for customers only. So she turned around and left. So many black and brown people have stories like that. I've gone into yarn shops and been followed around or just treated like, you know, what are you doing here? People make assumptions about us. And and black and brown people have experiences like that in lots of different spaces, right? We tend to think that the making community is different. (laughs) <laughs> and and it's really not. It's just reflective of the larger society. So I visit yarn shops to see if they're inclusive, to see if they're places that people who look like me are going to be comfortable and welcomed, and to introduce folks to Black and Brown makers. So on one episode, I actually went to Oberlin because there's a new local yarn shop there that is owned by a Black woman. So I spent a a good portion of one of my episodes just talking to her and showing what the shop looks like. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I'm posting about black and brown, independent dyers, yarn shop owners, designers, promoting all of those things. And also, you know, if I find a white ally, you know, that's really doing the work and being supportive of black and brown people, I'll highlight those as well. So yeah, that's why I'm always visiting shops and 
and getting recommendations for those kinds of things from other people. Thank you for explaining that because a couple things. So first of all, you gave clarity in terms of what your podcast is about. It's not bashing anybody. It is about experiences and educating minorities. We don't know about things until we get in the world. I grew up as a creative kid and arts and crafts played a big role in my childhood. And it was a, you know, safe place, a place where I could be judge, judge free. But I was also aware that not too many African-Americans in the community did crafts unless it was making prom dresses or, you know, doing a little crochet here and there, but nothing really major. And then the clubs that did, you know, do the beading and the quilting were in other neighborhoods where it was people that didn't look like me at all. I do understand that. And I also understand the being followed, the being mistreated. My primary craft is jewelry making. And so here I've attended plenty of bead shows uh, when they have came to Chicago. I have um, went to different beat shops in the suburbs because most of the ones in the city closed, went went out of business or the owners retired and relocated, which which is fine. But uh, another barrier is distance, you know, so if it's not a racial thing, it's a distance thing where if someone that doesn't drive and they're on public transportation it's not a guarantee that they can still, you know, be accessible to the shop because if it's still miles away from a train stop or a pace station, you know, you got to spend all day to go. So I have been at shows where you're followed or you didn't see anyone else there that, and and I want to clarify this because it's not about being scared to go anywhere. It's just that sometimes if you have a question to ask or if it's something you want to talk about, no one is there that can understand it. You know, and then even if you explain it, sometimes they don't care. So, you know, that's another, you know, issue. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that you're open to people who are advocates and Because there are people that are not African-Americans that are fighting for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and that are out there on the ground fighting every Mm -hmm. day for that. So I am so happy to hear that. Now, let's go back to knitting. So you've had the journey, you're up to teaching, then you had your experiences and you're willing to share with others and to educate others. What is the hardest thing that you have ever knitted? I do not like lace at all. (laughs) I tend to avoid it because I think it's hard. I decided that I was going to challenge myself to do something that was lace. And so I actually took a class. It was a sweater class. And the name of the pattern is the Mabe sweater, M-A-B-E. I can't remember the name of the designer, but it's got lace all through the yoke. I have ripped it out twice now (laughs) because I keep messing up. 
I'm still working on it. My my goal was to make it for a very good friend of mine whose birthday is next week. It's not going to be done because I've ripped it out twice. <laughs> so I'm still working on that. This mystery knit along that I just finished, it ended up being a shawl that had a lace section. And I messed up the lace section so much that I just, I frogged it. I pulled it out. And I'm I'm bound and determined to start it again, <laughs> but it just, it did not look the way it was supposed to at all. So I am really challenged with lace and I have done things like put in markers to like mark the repeat so that if I figure out that I've messed up somewhere, I don't have to like rip out a whole row, but I still, I messed it up every time. So this sweater is definitely, I think the hardest thing that, that I've ever so knit. Fun. Yeah. You know, some things take multiple times before you can get it right. And then at one, when you do get it right, you are going to feel so great because you're going to think about all the other times where you have to rip it and start all over again. Things like that are really, for me, spiritual reminders. I'm a highly religious person. I let people on my podcast know that, you know, even though I am, I'm very progressive and, you know, I I believe that there are many pathways to God, but, you know, when things like that happen, it reminds me that, you know, sometimes you got to go back before you can go forward. I think that's a really biblical principle. Knitting has become for me over the years, one of my spiritual disciplines, (laughs) Because it's constantly reminding me of some of the things that as a person of faith that I need to be practicing, that I have to be mindful of, that some things are hard, but that's okay because the result is going to be beautiful. When I participate in a mystery knit along, I'm thinking about, you know, I don't know where I'm going, but somebody does, right? And mm-hmm. and and we feel that way sometimes in life. Like, you know, I, I don't know where this is going, but I know that, you know, It's going somewhere. God's got it. You know, it's all going to work out for the good in the end. Yeah, so it's okay. In Metalsmith, there is a process called annealing, where anneal, A-N-N-E-A-L-I-N-G. And it's so symbolic to forgiveness Mm. because what you do to the metal, no matter how tarnished or messed up, if you went wrong with soldering or anything, you could just put it back through the annealing process where you basically lay the piece of metal on pumice and you heat it up and, you know, you go over with your torch and the metal looks like nothing happened. So it's very, to me, wow. Very symbolic to forgiveness. I love that. Yeah. So I thought of that while you were talking about your journey with this lace mixed with knitting. And I mean, lace is pretty, but it's a delicate fabric and any mistake does show up. Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) It does. So let's talk about the knitting industry. We're going to travel down that road. What are some things that you do like? And what are some things about it that you would like to see change? The community in in making. It's really awesome that I can be sitting out front here on campus or on a bus going somewhere, anywhere with some knitting needles in my hand. Other knitters instantly have a connection with me. 
or people who are just curious about making. So I love the community aspect of the knitting industry. I love that it is something that is really easy for people to hop into depending on their interests. So it's not that hard to design if you want to design. It's not that hard to start dyeing if that's something that you're interested in. So it's mm-hmm. it's a easy way for women, for people of color to jump into business if they so desire to do that. But, you know, like a lot of industries in the United States and the world, the knitting industry hasn't been very inclusive. It hasn't, I mean, they like to say they are, but they aren't. Um, you can see that just by looking at, you know, the number of minority-owned yarn shops or the number of minority-owned dye shops, the number of minority designers. It is not an inclusive environment as far as race is concerned. I think that the knitting industry does a much better job of being inclusive when it comes to LGBTQIA plus persons, but <laughs> not such a good job when it comes to people of color. So I, I would like to see uh, the knitting industry be more inclusive. I would like to see spaces like my podcast not be necessary anymore because, because the knitting industry is reflective of diversity that we have in the making community. It's not just the knitting industry. I think it's the whole craft industry. And that is right for this magazine is because I wanted to be inclusive. And there are so many amazing people out here like yourself and others who are doing their crafts. Not everybody wants to build a seven-figure business. Not everybody want a lot of followers. You know, you just have some crafters that like to do this in their spare time, not trying to sell it, you know, just do this as a way to relieve stress or they may work, you know, a job that calls for high mental currency. And so when they're home, that is their oasis, you know? But their stories should be told. Their voices should be heard. Most magazines, just in general, they go after the headliners, you know, the ones that are going to get them, you know, the most traffic or, you know, that have some pool. And there was one community that did a feature for Black History Month and they highlighted, you know, different artists and makers. And then some of the people posted in the comments of it say, you know, you didn't, they listed some more people that they could have featured. Cause like when I went back and I looked at the people that were featured, it was people that had large followings. And so at that point, it was more like a transaction instead of building that relationship and really trying to build that community. I think mm-hmm. is someone that maybe have 500 or 700 followers. You know, it gives other people a chance to say, oh, okay, you know, I would like to share my story. I, You know, how can I be featured? You know, this person don't have a lot of followers like I don't, and they still got featured. I think the industry has came a long way. Uh, It has created so many opportunities for minorities, teaching, testing, blogs, speaking, (laughs) teaching courses, you know, on the other side, the business side of it, designing video content, making Mm -hmm. forth. But I do believe that it still has a long way to go. 
and to not just be inclusive during a certain time of the year and not to do it to where people are made to feel like it's out of charity. I honestly would like to see stores, whether it's National Hispanic Month or Asian American Pacific Islander Month or whatever, I would like to see things actually made by them instead of turning it around and you see a sticker. So, right, um, you know, those are some barriers. And I'm just so glad that, you know, you're having this honest conversation. And like you said, you don't want to be educating all the time about, you know, here's this resource, you know, like being the catalyst for other people to, you know, get to, you know, navigate when it's been people that's been in this industry for decades that right. know more than me and you that should be able to provide those details. Here in Chicago, I actually reside uh, in the community where there's a um, Black-owned local yarn shop. And I remember they were telling me some of the challenges that they faced when they're, before their shop opened, you know, in terms of like extra site visits, People wouldn't even say hi, but asking about a sign permit or parking permit. And I had already reached out to them and kind of told them a little bit about the community because it's political. But then they went ahead and, you know, they shared some things. And I said, well, I'll be in prayer for you and your business. And it's going to change the narrative about the South Side of Chicago. And they have a lot of events. It feels like you're at a family gathering when you go. So if you ever come into Chicago anytime too soon and you want to know a local shop, I definitely recommend it. Okay. I I definitely keep that in mind. I have a brother that lives in Chicago. So yeah, I would love to come and visit and, and highlight that shop for sure. You would definitely enjoy you being for a treat. So uh, Liz, what, what personal goal that you want to accomplish within the next 12 months? You know, when I started my podcast, I started it really because I was frustrated with how difficult it was to find Black and Brown makers to support because I made a commitment to spend most of my crafting dollars on black and brown makers. And that's what I have been doing. And I've, (laughs) at one point on Instagram, I posted a a video where I said, you know, I wish I had a million dollars because I have been overwhelmed with the number of black and brown makers. There are out there who we can support with our dollars. All you have to do is look, you have to take the time to look people who make the excuse that they can't find them. That's just what it is. It's an excuse. They're just not looking. But I wanted to take that excuse away. So so that's why I started the podcast. So I'm always talking about black and brown designers and dyers, yarn shops on my podcast. And I don't know if I have a personal goal to reach in the next 12 months. I definitely want to keep getting the word out there. I hosted a Black History Month knit along Actually, it was a make-along, so it was knit and crochet, where I uh, asked people to participate by supporting Black designers and dyers. I think if I had to, to really think about a goal, it would be to grow that project for sure, just to really 
increase my ability to really get names of, of Black makers out in particular. But yeah, I haven't thought about it beyond really the Black history make-along. That's okay. a really good question. Yeah. You know, well, I got into it. You know, I'm, I'm not in this to make money. I'm not in this to get followers. I'm just in this to provide information and education to people. So yeah, I don't think about it as like, you know, it's not a business for me or even a side hustle. It's just something that I personally feel strong about and have decided that it's worth my time to put some effort into it. You know, I'm not trying to be a social media influencer or anything like that. I'm just trying to get get the word out to people to support all these primarily sisters, but brothers too out here who are who are trying to make a living doing this work. So how long have you had the podcast? It started in December 2021. I ordered two different Kwanzaa boxes from some Black dyers. One was from Passion Knit Yarn and the other one was from uh, Chicken Coop Dye Works. I was so excited that there was somebody who put together a, a kit for Kwanzaa, you know, because you see all this stuff about Advent for the Christmas season and Advent for the Halloween season. I'm like, what about Kwanzaa? I want to see some Kwanzaa stuff. So I was so excited to get them that I said, I need to tell people about this. And that's how it really started. It was just me opening up the contents of the, the Kwanzaa boxes each day and recording what I was, what I was getting. And it kind of grew from there. And then I don't know if you remember the whole controversy, I guess it was early in the new year, maybe it was late last year, with a, a certain influencer who got a lot of flack for making some comments about Michelle Obama on the cover of Vogue Knitting. Vogue Knit, yeah. And I about it, but I didn't, you know, get no get into the whole story, but I did hear about yeah. the reaction about her being on the cover. And so I was like, you know what? You know, and people were talking about it. My PhD is in sociology. I've studied race as part of my research for my whole career. I usually talk about how race shows up in medicine. I just felt in my spirit that I needed to spend some time in this podcast that I started talking explicitly about how race shows up in the making community. So I just started doing that with, again, the goal of getting the word out about Black and Brown people in the making community, but also trying to provide some education about, you know, some of the things that I was seeing on social media about people's experience with race. I, I just thought not enough people were talking about it in the way that I thought I could contribute being a sociologist and somebody who studies race. That's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been less than a year, coming up on a year, and I'll keep doing it as long as people are willing to listen. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Uh, yeah, it's hard to run a podcast, and especially, you know, with what you're doing, you have an audience, but then on the other hand, it's kind of like boxed in a little bit, you know, if it's viewed from someone that's outside of the African-American community. And again, this isn't to bash any race. This is just to address the different things that have taken place mm -hmm. that we have seen, whether it's online or in magazines and so forth. And 
one of the biggest problems is that it's presented for people to be open and honest. And then when someone gives that honest opinion, they're made to feel like the villain. And that's Mm -hmm. right. That because if you open the platform for anybody to voice their opinion, there should be no suppression. You know, you can't muzzle somebody because you don't agree with with what they say, you Mm -hmm. know? And uh, now bullying, that's something altogether different. And it turns bullying, you know, like the comes out when someone tells the truth or talk about something that no one really wants to deal with. I get it. Let's talk about the other side of that a little bit, because sometimes when you are trying to help your audience, your community and educate them, sometimes it's just not always welcome. And that can be for many reasons. How do you deal with that when it comes from within? What I have tried to do with my podcast is really create a space of beloved community, you know, based on the ideas of Dr. Martin Luther King, where everyone who participates in my podcast or follows me can fully participate in the life of that community and where people are okay with being held accountable. And what that means is that you can comment however you want to comment on my podcast or on my Instagram posts, but I'm going to hold you accountable. If you're saying things that are just, you know, to troll like people do, I'm going to block you because that's not demonstrating beloved community. But if you're asking a question or making a comment because you want to learn because you're trying to grow, because you want to understand, I'm going to provide you with information. I have decided as as a Black woman that I am going to take on the burden of educating other people. And not everybody wants to take on that burden. Not at Um, all. Right. And they shouldn't have to. (laughs) But I have decided that is part of my calling as a teacher as a follower of the way, that's how I describe myself when I describe my faith. I'm a follower of the way. That's how they describe early Christians. I have decided to take on that burden. That doesn't mean that other people have to do it, that people should expect other people to do it. But I have taken on that burden. I've made it clear that I have done that, that I'm open to sincere questions. But I've also made it clear that part of the accountability is if you're just in here trying to mess up somebody's day, because you don't like what's being said, I'm going to block you. That's accountability for me. But I'm also going to hold people accountable for doing the work. Like if, if you say that you are a person who wants to learn and grow and change so that we do have an inclusive community, then you have to put some action behind what you're saying, right? Yeah. I got to mm-hmm. see what you're doing. <laughs> And if I don't see you doing, then I'm going to ask you, what's going on? What's happening? Mm -hmm. Right? You can't just be about the talk. You got to walk the walk, which is why I'm always encouraging people to do things like don't go out and buy a Juneteenth t-shirt from Target and say you down for the cause. Why don't you go buy a pattern from a black designer or buy some yarn from an independent dyer? Or buy a crochet pattern. You know what I'm saying? Or buy mm-hmm. some jewelry from a black maker. 
that's how you can celebrate Juneteenth. I don't need you to go get a dashiki. I need you to go to a parade or a cookout. I need you to put your money where your mouth is. That's that's how you can show me some real action that you're really yeah. committed. As I was listening to you, um, I, I thought about how the little subtle ways of segmenting, you know, now that more and more black and brown people are in the craft community. For a long time, crafts was all you heard. Now you hear makers. Now you hear artists. Now you hear, you know, it's like three or four different names to set yourself apart, but it's still the same thing. This is a long road. This is the long game. You know, it's not just buy Black, do everything Black. Again, we're not discounting anyone. Uh, This isn't bashing other races at all. This is just having an honest conversation about the experiences that we had. And I mean, to be honest, before social media became what it is today, before the internet became the peak that it is today, you had no other choice but to deal with it because it was brick and mortar. And a lot of times, if it was a a business that was the only one in the community and the closest one, maybe 20 or 30 miles away, you had no other choice. So you had to put up with the price point and things like that. And, you know, it's just ways that I will say outside of race, there's bias in in price points. Absolutely. You You know, sometimes you'll come across where people charge five or six times. I mean, the craft industry does have a multiplier. As long as you are pricing within the multiplier, that's fine. That's different because you, you do, if you are in business, you should be profitable. But I'm talking about when you're nickel and dime and gouged just because they know you have no other choice. Yeah, I think there's a lot of class bias <laughs> in the mm-hmm. making community. We got a lot of privileged people in the making community who literally bash people for doing things like buying acrylic yarn. I was one of those people. Um, you start somewhere. <laughs> you you got to start somewhere. Not everybody is privileged enough that they can afford to spend $30 on one hank of yarn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just not realistic. And what are you going to do? You're going to tell those people they can't participate in crafting because they can't afford more expensive supplies. Yeah, there's a lot of bias there that is really problematic for sure. Yeah, um, and and sometimes it's, it's ageism, you know. Yeah, where, for sure. Yeah, I've seen that and I have seen where it's just, yeah, classism. I've seen, of course, uh, racism, but I've also seen if you don't do the quote-unquote popular crafts they mm. kind of um, consider you know to be an out- outsider and that was another reason too I know we don't have much time left but I wanted to ask you so you are in Ohio mm-hmm. Ohio different parts of Ohio have craft fairs craft markets craft conferences you know Ohio seems to be like this craft state you know, because it's just crafts everywhere. How would you describe the craft community in Akron? Akron and Cleveland, I'll throw Cleveland in there because Cleveland is a bigger city. How would you describe 
the craft community? And how would you describe the Black and brown craft community in in those two cities? I know that there are Black and brown people in Northeast Ohio, which is where I'm at. There's no like gathering place for Black and brown makers that I have found. I hope that that will change. Um, One of the reasons I I decided to take this step into teaching is I want to bring more Black and brown people into a space together to craft. So, you know, my next conversation with the owner of my local yarn shop is to talk about whether or not we can have a inclusive knit night that maybe I promote on my social media to get people to come to one space. So my experience is that those kinds of inclusive gatherings have been kind of haphazard, like they don't happen consistently. There are a number of shops that I have found that are inclusive spaces where I have met other black and brown folks who are uh, making. But when you go to places like one of the big fiber festivals in Northeast Ohio is the Great Lakes Fiber Show. And it's like a lot of fiber shows. It's in a community that is not diverse. It's in a community that is, as somebody who has lived in Northeast Ohio their entire life, is not welcoming of Black people. But I go there because, you know, I have knitting friends that I know will be there, you know, vendors that I definitely want to see. And I've got a, a group of people that I can go with where I'll feel safe and like it's, it's okay for me to be in the space because I'm with other people. But yeah, I think in, in that regard, we've got some work to do in Ohio. But there are communities they are just small and, and difficult to plug into. I kind of gathered that, but because it's kind of the same common denominator across the board, wherever you go. I mean, in some cities, it's a little bit more diverse than others. But here in Chicago, you do have to travel a great distance, depending on what part of town you're in. Most of the time, you do have to have a vehicle or, you know, the north side does have plenty of accessibility to trains and, you know, public transportation. But some of the areas are congested where traffic is just a nightmare. So you're kind of up against that. You're up against parking meters. You know, you're just up against so much until you really can't have an experience, you know, because you got the check back outside to see if the meter is up or, you know, it's it's those kind of barriers. Yeah. And in Northeast Ohio, the infrastructure for public transportation is poor. Even though we have public transportation and you can get to some shops via public transportation, you're talking about an hour and a half easy one way to get anywhere on the bus. Yeah. 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 90 minutes. And it's draining. Yeah. I worked where it took me 90 minutes one way. And yeah, that is draining. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that makes people not want to go. You right. Know? You're absolutely and, right. You know, usually help at the shop. So that's that. Well, Liz, where can listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram at the Black Knitter, all one word. My podcast on YouTube is the Black Knitter. Um, I think if you Google me, if you Google the Black Knitter, my YouTube is probably the first thing that pops up. Yeah, because it's a unique name. It grabs attention. You know, they say, okay, let's see what she's talking about. 
And uh, Liz, this has just been a wonderful conversation. And I'm so happy that you were just transparent with, you know, things and that, you know, hopefully this opens up for others to, you know, have these honest conversations about. I hope so. It's just more than just gathering with your supplies and making stuff, you know, like, no, let's get the nitty gritty. Well, listeners, that's all that we have. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you have, go ahead and share this episode on your social media. Feel free to tag Crafty Hands Club Mag and use the hashtag CHC Podcast that is in the description of this episode. And again, thank you all for tuning in this week. And come back and tune in with Crafty Hands Club next week.